Welcome back, everyone, to Books for Boredom. Um, we are now in the the middle of the, what, third part of this book or second part of this book. Um, so we're a good, we're a good halfway through. Um, I hope you guys are liking it. And I hope also you guys had a great Easter because I didn't really say much last week. Um, I hope you had a good holiday. That's really it. Um, I did. I had a good time. And, um... As always, thank you for stopping by and continuing this book with me, and uh, I'll be going on to the next couple of chapters, and I'll see you guys next week. Chapter 21 They had entire conversations in which she didn't say a word, for Poe could sense when Katz had desired to talk to him, and if there was a thing she wanted him to know his grace could capture that thing. It seemed a useful ability for them to practice, and Katza found that the more comfortable she grew with opening her mind to him, the more practice she became with closing it as well. It was never entirely satisfying, closing her mind, because whenever she closed her feelings for him, she also must close them from herself. But it was something. They found it was easier for him to pick up her thoughts than it was for her to formulate them. She thought things to him word by word at first, as if she were speaking, but silently. Do you want to stop and rest? Shall I catch us some dinner? I've run out of water. Of course I understand you when you're that precise, he said, but you don't need to try so hard. I can understand images, too, or feelings or thoughts in unformed sentences. This was also hard for her as well. She was afraid of being misunderstood, and she formulated her images as carefully as she'd formulated her words. Fish roasting over their fire, a stream, the herbs, the sea bane that she must eat with dinner. If you only open a thought to me, Katza, I'll see it, no matter how much you think of it. If you intend me to know it, I will. But what did it mean to open a thought to him, to intend for him to know it? She tried simply reaching out to his mind whenever she wanted him to know something, Poe, and then leaving it to him to collect the essence of the thought. It seemed to work. She practiced constantly, both communicating with him and closing him out. Slowly, the tightness of her mind loosened. Beside the fire one night, protected from the rain by a shelter of branches she'd built, she asked to see his rings. He placed his hands into hers. She counted. Six plain gold rings of varying widths on his right hand. On his left, one plain gold, one thin with an inlaid grayed stone running through the middle, one wide and heavy with a sharp, glittery white stone, this the one that must have scratched her that night beside the archery range, and one plain in gold like the first, but engraved all around with a design she recognized from the markings on his arm. It was this ring that made her wonder if the rings had meanings. Yes, he said. Every ring worn by Elenid means something. This with the engraving is the ring of the king's seventh son. It's the ring of my castle and my princehood, my inheritance. Do your brothers have a different ring and markings on their arms that are different from yours? They do. She fingered the great, heavy ring with the jagged white stone. This is the ring of a king. Yes, this ring is for my father. And this, he said, fingering the small one with the gray line running through the middle, for my mother. This plain one for my grandfather. Was he never king? His older brother was king. When his brother died, he would have been king had he wished it, but... His son, my father, was young and strong and ambitious. My grandfather was old and unwell and content to pass the kingship to his son. 
And what of your father's mother and your mother's father and mother? Do you wear rings for them? No. They're dead. I never knew them. She took his right hand. And these? You don't have enough fingers for the rings on this hand. These are for my brothers, he said. One for each. The thickest for the oldest and the thinnest for the youngest. Does this mean that your brothers all wear an even thinner ring for you? That's right. And my mother and father, too. My grandfather? Why should yours be the smallest just because you're the youngest? That's the way it is, Katza. But the ring they wear for me is different from the others. It has a tiny inlaid gold stone and silver. For your eyes? Yes. It's a special ring for your grace. The Leonid honor the graced. Well, and that was a novel idea. She hadn't known that anyone honored the graced. You don't wear rings for your brother's wives or their children? He smiled. No, thankfully. But I would wear one for my own wife, and if I had children, I'd wear a ring for each. My mother has four brothers, four sisters, seven sons, two parents, and a husband. She wears 19 rings. And that is absurd. How can she even use her fingers? He shrugged. I have no difficulty using mine. He raised her hands to his mouth then and kissed her knuckles. You wouldn't catch me wearing that many rings. He laughed, turned her hands over, and kissed her palms and her wrists. I wouldn't catch you doing anything you didn't want to do. And here what was rapidly becoming her favorite aspect of Poe's grace. He knew, without her telling him, the things she did want to do. He dropped to his knees before her now with a smile that looked like mischief. His hand grazed her, sighed, and then pulled her closer. His lips brushed her neck. She caught her breath, forgot whatever retort she'd been about to form, and enjoyed the gold chill of his rings on her face and her body and every place that he touched. You believe Lek cuts those animals up himself, she said to him one day while they were riding, don't you? He glanced back at her. I realize it's a disgusting accusation, but yes, that's what I believe. And I also wonder about the sickness that man spoke of. You think he's killing people off? Poe shrugged and didn't answer. Katza said, Do you think Queen Ashen enclosed herself away from him because she figured out that he's graced? I've wondered about that too. But how could she have figured it out? Shouldn't she be completely under his spell? I have no idea. Perhaps he went too far with his abuses and she had a moment of mental clarity. He raised a branch that hung in their path and ducked under it. Perhaps his grace only works to a point. Or perhaps there was no grace. Perhaps it was no more than a ridiculous notion they'd come up with in a desperate attempt to explain unexplainable circumstances. But a king and queen had died, and no one had called foul. A king had kidnapped a grandfather, and no one suspected him. A one-eyed king. It was a grace. Or if it was not, it was something unnatural. The path grew thinner and more overgrown, and they walked with the horses more than they rode. And now all the trees seemed to change color at once, the leaves orange and yellow and crimson and purple and brown. Only a day or two to go before they reached the inn that would take their horses, and then the steep climb into the mountains with their belongings on their backs. There would be snow in the mountains, Poe said, and there would not be many travelers. They would need to move cautiously and watch for storms. But you're not worried, are you, Katza? Not particularly, because you never get cold, and you can bring down a bear with your hands and build us a fire in a blizzard using icicles for kindling. 
She would not humor him by laughing, but she couldn't suppress a smile. They had encamped for the evening. She was fishing, and when she fished, he always teased her, for she didn't fish with a line, as he would have. She fished by removing her boots, rolling up the legs of her trousers, and wading into the water. She'd then snatch up any fish that came within range of her grasp and throw it to Poe, who sat on shore laughing at her, scaling and gutting their dinner, and keeping her company. It's not many people whose hands are faster than a fish, he said. Katza snatched at a silver-pink glimmer that flashed past her ankles, then tossed the fish to Poe. It's not many people who know that a horse has a stone caught in its hoof even when the horse shows no sign of it either. I may be able to kill my dinner as easily as I kill men, but at least I'm not conversing with the horses. I don't converse with the horses. I've only started to know if they want us to stop, and once we've stopped it's usually easy enough to find what's wrong. Well, regardless, it seems to me that you're not in a position to marvel at the strangeness of my grace. Poe leaned back on his elbows and grinned. I don't think your grace is strange, but I think it's not what you think it is. She grabbed at a dark flash in the water and threw a fish to him. What is it then? Now that I don't know, but a killing grace can't account for all the things you can do. The way you never tire or suffer from the cold or from hunger. I tire. Other things, too. The knack you have with fire in a rainstorm. I'm just more patient than other people. Poe snorted. Yeah. Patience has always struck me as one of your defining characteristics. He dodged the fish that flew at his head and sat back again, laughing. Your eyes are bright as you stand in that water with the sun setting before you, he said. You're beautiful. Stop it. And you're a fool. Come out of there, wildcat. We've had enough fish. She waded to shore. Meeting her at the edge of the water, he pulled her up onto the moss. Together they gathered up the fish and walked to the fire. I tire, Katza said, and I feel cold and hunger. If you say so, but just compare yourself to other people. Compare herself to other people. She sat down and dried her feet. Shall we fight tonight? he asked. She nodded absently. He set the fish above the flames and hummed and washed his hands and flashed his light at her from across the fire. She sat and thought to herself about what she found when she compared herself to other people. She did feel cold sometimes, but she didn't suffer from it as other people did. And she felt hunger sometimes, but she could go long with little food, and hunger did not make her weak. She couldn't remember ever feeling weak exactly for any reason, nor could she remember ever having been ill. She thought back and was certain. She'd never even had a cough. She stared into the fire. They were a bit unusual, these things. She could see that, and she knew there was more. She fought and rode and ran and tumbled, but her skin rarely bruised or broke. She'd never broken a bone, and she didn't suffer from pain the way other people did. Even when Poe hit her very hard, the pain was easily manageable. If she was being honest, she'd have to admit that she didn't quite understand what other people meant when they complained of pain. She didn't tire as other people did. She didn't need much sleep. Most nights, she made herself sleep only because she knew she should. Poe. He looked up from the fire. Can you tell yourself to go to sleep? What do you mean? I mean, can you lie down and make yourself fall asleep? Whenever you want, instantly. He squinted at her. No, I've never done or heard of such a thing. Huh. He studied her for a moment longer and then seemed to decide to let her be. She barely noticed him. 
It had never occurred to her before that the control she had over her sleep might be unusual. And it wasn't just that she could command herself to sleep. She could command herself to sleep for a specific amount of time, and whenever she woke, she always knew exactly what time it was. At every moment of the day, in fact, she always knew the time. Just as she always knew exactly where she was and what direction she was facing. Which way is north? She asked Poe. He looked up again and considered the light. He pointed in a direction that was loosely north, but not exactly. How did she know that with such certainty? She never got lost. She never had trouble building a fire or shelter. She hunted so easily. Her vision and her hearing were better than those of anyone she'd ever known. She stood abruptly. She strode the first few steps back to the pond and stared into it without seeing it. The physical needs that limited other people did not limit her. The things from which other people suffered did not touch Katza. She knew instinctively how to live and thrive in the wilderness. And she could kill anyone, at the slightest threat to her survival. Katza sat on the ground suddenly. Could her grace be survival? The instant she asked it, she denied it. She was just a killer. Had always been just a killer. She'd killed a cousin in plain view of Rhonda's court. A man who wouldn't have hurt her. Not really. She'd murdered him without a thought, without hesitation, just as she'd very nearly murdered her uncle. But she hadn't murdered her uncle. She'd found a way to avoid it and stay alive. And she hadn't meant for that cousin to die. She'd been a child, her grace unformed. She hadn't lashed out to kill him, she'd only lashed out to protect herself. To protect herself from his touch. She had forgotten this somewhere along the line when the people of the court had begun to shy away from her and Rhonda had begun to use her skill for his own purposes and call her his child killer. Her grace was not killing. Her grace was survival. She laughed then, for it was almost like saying her grace was life, and of course that was ridiculous. She stood again and turned back to the fire. Poe watched her approach. He didn't ask what she was thinking, he didn't intrude. He would wait until she wanted to tell him. She looked at him, measuring her from across the flames. He was plainly curious. I've been comparing myself to other people, she said. I see, he said, cautiously. She peeled back the skin of one of the roasting fish and sliced off a piece. She chewed on it and thought, Poe? He looked up at her. If you learned that my grace wasn't killing, she said, but survival... He raised his eyebrows. Would it surprise you? He pursed his lips. No, it makes much more sense to me. But it's like saying my grace is life. Yes. It's absurd. Is it? I don't think so. And it's not just your own life, he said. You have saved many lives with your grace. She shook her head. Not as many as I've hurt. Possibly, but you have the rest of your life to tip the balance. You'll live long. The rest of her life to tip the balance. Katza peeled the flesh of another fish away from its bones. She broke the flaky meat part and ate it, and thought about that, smiling. Chapter 22 The trees gave way suddenly, and the mountains came upon them all at once and with the mountains the town that would take their horses. The buildings were made of stone or of heavy sunder and wood. 
but it was the town's backdrop that stopped Katz's breath. She'd seen the hills of Estelle, but she'd never seen mountains. She'd never seen silver trees that climbed straight up into the sky and rock and snow that climbed even higher, to peaks impossibly high that shone gold in the sun. It reminds me of poem, Poe said. Leonid is like this? Parts of Leonid. My father's city stands near mountains like these. Well, Katza said, it reminds me of nothing, for I've never seen anything like it. I almost can't believe I'm seeing it now. There was no camping and no hunting for them that night. Their meal was cooked for them and served by the rough, friendly wife of the innkeeper, who seemed unconcerned with their graceling eyes and wanted to know everything they'd seen on their journey and everyone they'd passed. They ate in a room warm from the fire in a great stone fireplace. Hot stew, hot vegetables, hot bread, and the entire eating room to themselves. Chairs to sit on and a table and plates and spoons. Their baths afterwards warm, their bed warm, and softer than Katza had remembered a bed could be. It was luxury, and they enjoyed it, for they knew it was the last such comfort they were likely to experience for some time. They left before sunlight broke over the peaks with provisions wrapped by the innkeeper's wife and cold water from the inn's well. They carried most of their belongings, all that they had not left behind with the horses, one bow and one quiver on Katz's back as she was the better shot. Neither of their swords, though both carried dagger and knife. Their bedrolls, little clothing, coins, the medicines, the map, the list of council contacts. The sky they climbed toward turned purple, then orange and pink. The mountain path bore the signs of the crossings of others. Fires gone cold, boot impressions in the dirt. In some places, huts had been built for the use of travelers, empty of furniture but with crude, functional fireplaces, built by the combined efforts of Sunder, Estill, and Monsi in a time long ago when the kingdoms worked together for the safe passage of travelers across their borders. A roof and four walls can save you, and a blizzard in the mountains, Poe said. Were you ever caught in the mountains during a blizzard? I was once, with my brother Silvern. We were out climbing, and a storm surprised us. We found the hut of a woodsman, and if we hadn't, we'd likely be dead. We were trapped for four days. For four days we ate nothing but the bread and apples we'd brought along in the snow. Our mother almost gave us up for lost. Which brother was Silvern? My father's fifth son. It's a shame you hadn't the animal sense then that you have now. You could have gone out and unearthed the mole or a squirrel. And lost myself on the way back to the hut, he said. Either that or returned to a brother who'd think it was awfully suspicious that I'd managed to hunt in a blizzard. They climbed over dirt and grass that gave way at times to rock. Climbed always with the mountain peaks rising before them. It felt good to be out of the forest, to climb, to move fast. The vast, empty sky glinted its sun onto her face and filled her lungs with air. She was content. Why have you never trusted your brothers with your grace? My mother forbade me when I was a child, absolutely forbade me to tell them. I hated to keep it from them, particularly Silvern and Skye, who's closest in age to me. But now I know my brothers as men, and I see my mother was right. Why, aren't they to be trusted? They are, with most things. But they're all made of ambition, Katza, every one of them, constantly playing off each other to gain favor with my father. As things stand now, I'm no threat to them, because I'm the youngest and I have no ambition. And they respect me, for they know it would take all six of them together to beat me in a fight. But if they knew the truth of my grace, they'd try to use me. They wouldn't be able to help themselves.
but you wouldn't let them. No, but they'd resent me. And I'm not sure one of them wouldn't give in to the temptation to tell his wife or his advisors. And my father would learn. It would all fall apart. They stopped at a trickle of water. Katza drank some and washed her face. Your mother had foresight. Above all, she feared my father learning of it. He lowered his flask into the water. He's not an unkind father, but it's hard to be king. Men will trick power away from a king however they can. I would have been too useful for him. He couldn't have resisted using me. He simply couldn't. And that was the greatest thing my mother feared. Did he never want to use you as a fighter? Certainly, and I've helped him. But as you've helped Rhonda. My father is not the bully Rhonda is, but it was my mind that my mother feared him using. She wanted my mind to be my own, and not his. It didn't seem right to Katza that a mother should have to protect her child from its father, but she didn't know much of mothers and fathers. She hadn't had a mother or a father to protect her from Rhonda's use, Perhaps rather than fathers, it was kings that were the danger. Your grandfather agreed that no one should know the truth of your grace. My grandfather agreed. Would your father be very angry if he learned the truth now? He'd be furious with me, my mother, and my grandfather. They'd all be furious, and rightfully so. So it's a huge deception we've pulled off, Katza. You had to. Nonetheless, it would not be easily forgiven. Katza pulled herself onto a jumble of stones and stopped to look around. They seemed no closer to the tops of the peaks that rose before them. It was only by looking back to the forest far below that she knew they'd climbed, that and the drop in temperature. She shifted her bags and stepped back onto the trail. And then the thought of queens protecting children from kings registered more deeply in her mind. Poe. Lek has a daughter. Yes, bitter blue. She's ten. Bitter Blue could have a role in this strange affair. If Lek was trying to hurt her, it would explain Queen Ashen hiding away with her. Poe stopped in his tracks and turned to look at her anxiously. If he cuts up animals for pleasure, I hate to think what he would want with his own daughter. The question hung in the air between them, eerie and horrible. Katza thought suddenly of the two dead little girls. Let's hope you're wrong, Poe said his hand to his stomach as if he felt ill. Let's move faster, Katza said, just in case I'm right. They set off almost at a run. They followed the path upward, through the mountains that separated them from Monsi and whatever truth it contained. They woke the next morning on the floor of a dusty hut to a dead fire and a winter cold that seeped through the crack under the door. The frozen stars melted as Katza and Poe climbed, and light spread across the horizon. The path grew steeper and more rocky. The pace of their climb pushed away the chill and the stiffness that Katza didn't feel, but that Poe complained of. I've been thinking about how we should approach Lex Court, Poe said. He climbed from one rock to another and jumped to a third. What were you thinking? Well, I'd like to be more certain of our suspicions before meeting him. Should we find an inn outside the court and stay there our first night? That's my thought. But we shouldn't waste any time. No, if we can't learn anything helpful in one night, then perhaps we should go ahead and present ourselves to the court. They climbed, and Katza wondered what that would be like, whether they would pose as friends to the court and infiltrate it gradually, or whether they would enter on the offensive and instigate an enormous fight. 
She pictured Lek as a smirking, insincere man standing at the end of a velvet carpet, his single eye narrowed and clever. She imagined herself shooting an arrow into his heart, so that it crumpled to his knees, bled all over his carpet, and died at the feet of his stewards. At Poe's command, her strike. It would have to be at Poe's command, for until they knew the truth of his grace, she couldn't trust her own judgment. Poe, that's true, isn't it? He took a moment to gather her thoughts. I have some idea about that as well, he said. Once we're in Monsi, would you consent to do what I say, and only what I say? Just until I have a sense of Lex's power. Would you ever consent to that? Of course I would, Poe, in this case. And you must expect me to behave strangely. I'll have to pretend I'm graced with fighting no more and that I believe every word he says. And I'll practice my archery and my knife throwing, Katza said. For I have a feeling that when all is asked and revealed, King Lek will find himself on the end of my blade. Poe shook his head and did not smile. I have a feeling it's not going to be that easy. The third day of their crossing was the windiest and the coldest. The mountain pass led them between two peaks that were hidden, sometimes behind cyclones of snow. Their boots crunched through patches of snow and flakes drifted onto their shoulders from the thin blue sky and melted into Katz's hair. I like winter in the mountains, she said, but Poe laughed. This isn't winter in the mountains. This is autumn in the mountains, and a mild autumn at that. Winter is ferocious. I think I should like that too, she said, and Poe laughed again. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. You'd thrive on the challenge of it. The weather held, so that Katz's declaration could not be put to the test. They moved as fast as the terrain would permit. For all his traveling at Katz's energy, Poe was strong and quick. He teased her for the pace, she said, but he didn't complain, and if he stopped sometimes for food and water, Katza was grateful for it reminded her to eat and drink as well, and it gave her an excuse to turn around and stare behind them, at the mountains that stretched from east to west, at the whole world she could see, for she was so high that she felt she could see the whole world. And then suddenly they reached the top of the pass. Before them the mountains plunged into a forest of pines. Green valleys stretched beyond, broken by streams and farmhouses and tiny dots that cats had guessed were cows, and a line a river that thinned into the distance and led to a miniature white city at the edge of their sight. Lek City. I can barely see it, Poe said, but I trust your vision. I see buildings, Katza said, and a dark wall around a white castle. And look, see the farmhouses in the valley? Surely you can make those out. And the cows, do you see the cows? Yes, I can see them, now that you mention it. It's gorgeous, Katza. Have you ever seen a sight so gorgeous? She laughed at his happiness. For a moment, as they looked down on Monsi, the world was beautiful and without worry. The downhill scramble was more treacherous than the uphill climb. Poe complained that his toes were liable to burst through the front of his boots, and then he complained that he wished they would, for they ached from the constant downhill beat of his feet. And then Katza noticed that he stopped complaining altogether and sank into a preoccupation. Poe, we're, we're moving fast. Yes, he shaded his eyes with his hand and squinted down at the fields of Monsi. I only hope it's fast enough. They camped that night beside a stream that ran with melting snow. She sat on a rock and watched his eyes that glimmered with worry. He glanced at her and smiled suddenly. Would you like something sweet to eat with this rabbit? Of course, she said. But it makes little difference what I want if all we have is rabbit. He stood then and turned away into the scrub. 
Where are you going? He didn't answer. His boots scraped on rock as he disappeared into blackness. She stood. Poe! Don't worry your heart, Katza. His voice came from a distance. I'm only finding what you want. If you think I'm just going to sit here, sit down. You'll ruin my surprise. She sat, but she let him know what she thought of him and his surprise, rattling around in the dark and breaking his ankles on the rocks most likely, so she'd have to carry him the rest of the way down the mountain. A few minutes passed and she heard him returning. He stepped into the light and came to her, his hand cupped before him. When he knelt before her, she saw a little round mound of berries in his palm. She looked into the shadow of his face. Winterberries? she asked. Winterberries. She took one from his hand and bit into it. It popped with a cold sweetness. She swallowed the soft flesh and watched his face, confused. Your grace showed them to you, these winterberries. Yeah. Poe, this is new, isn't it? That you should sense a plant with such clarity. It's not as if you were moving or thinking or about to crash down on top of you. He sat back on his heels. He tilted his head. The world is filling in around me, he said, piece by piece. The fuzziness is clearing. To be honest, it's a bit disorienting. I'm ever so slightly dizzy. Katza stared at him. There was nothing to say in response to this. His grace was showing him winter berries and he was ever so dizzy. Tomorrow he would be able to tell her about a landslide on the other side of the world, and they would both be faint. She sighed and touched the gold in his ear. If you put your feet into the stream, the snow water will soothe your toes, and I'll rub the warmth back into them when you're done. And if I'm cold in places other than my toes, will you warm me there, too? His voice was a grin, and she laughed into his face. But then he took her chin in his hand and looked into her eyes seriously. Katza. When we get closer to Lek, you must do whatever I tell you. Do you promise? I promise. You must, Katza. You must swear it. Poe, I've promised it before, and I'll promise it again, and I swear it, too. I'll do what you say. He watched her eyes, and then he nodded. He emptied the last few berries into her hand and bent down to his boots. My toes are such a misery. I'm not sure it's wise to release them. They may revolt and run off into the mountains and refuse to return. She ate another winter berry. I expect I'm more than a match for your toes. The next day, there were no more jokes from Poe, about his toes or anything else. He hardly spoke, and the farther they moved down the path that led to King Lek, the more anxious he seemed to become. His mood was contagious. Katza was uneasy. You'll do what I say when the time comes? He asked her once. She opened her mouth to give voice to a surge of irritation at the question she'd already answered and must now answer again. But at the sight of him trudging down the path beside her, tense and worried, she lost hold of her anger. I'll do what you say, Poe. Chapter 23 Katza His voice woke her. She opened her eyes and knew it to be about three hours before dawn. What is it? I can't sleep. She sat up. Too worried? Yeah. Well, I assume you didn't wake me just for my company. You don't need the sleep. And if I'm going to be awake, we may as well be moving. And she was up, and her blanket rolled, and her quiver and bow and bags on her back in an instant. A path, sloping downhill, ran through the trees. The forest was black. Poe took her arm and led her as best he could, 
stumbling over stones and resting his hand on trees she couldn't see to steady their passage. When a cold, gritty light finally brought shadow and shape to their path, they moved faster, practically ran. Snow began to fall, and the trail, wider and flatter, glowed a pale blue. The inn that would sell them horses was beyond the forest, hours away by foot. As they hurried on, Katza found herself looking forward to the rest for her feet and her lungs that the horses would bring. She opened the thought to Poe. It takes this, he said, to tire you. Running in the dark, on no sleep and no food after days of climbing in the mountains. He didn't smile, and he wasn't teasing. I'm glad. Whatever it is we're running toward, we're likely to need your energy and your stamina. That reminded her. She reached into a bag on her back. Eat, she said. We must both eat, or we'll be good for nothing. It was mid-morning, and the snow still drifted down when they neared the place where the forest stopped abruptly and the fields began. Poe turned to her suddenly, alarm screaming in every feature of his face. He began to run headlong down the path through the trees toward the edge of the forest, and then Katza heard it. Men's voices raised, yelling, and the thunder of hooves coming closer. She ran after Poe and broke through the trees several paces behind him. A woman staggered across the fields toward them. A small woman with arms raised, her face a mask of terror. Dark hair and gold hoops in her ears. A black dress and gold on the fingers she stretched out to Poe, and behind her an army of men on galloping horses led by one man with streaming robes and an eye patch and a raised bow, and a notched arrow that flew from the bow and struck the woman square in the back. The woman jerked and stumbled. She fell on her face in the snow. Poe stopped cold. He ran back to Katza, yelling, Shoot him! Shoot him! But she had already swung the bow from her back and reached for an arrow. She pulled the string and took aim, and then the horses stopped. The man with the eye patch screamed out, and Katza froze. Oh, what an accident, he cried. His voice was a choke, a sob, so full of desperate pain that Katza gasped and tears rose to her eyes. What a terrible, terrible accident, the man screamed. My wife, my beloved wife. Katza stared at the crumpled body of the woman, black dress and flung arms, white snow stained red. The man's sobs carried to her across the field. It was an accident. A terrible, tragic accident. Katza lowered her bow. No! Shoot him! Katza gaped at Poe, shocked at his words, at the wildness in his eyes. But it was an accident, she said. You promised to do what I said. Yes, but I'm not going to shoot a grieving man whose wife has had such an accident. His voice was angry now, as she'd never heard it. Give me the bow, he hissed, so strange and rough, so unlike himself. No! Give it to me. No, you're not yourself. He clutched his hair then and looked behind him desperately at the man who watched them, his one eye cocked toward them, his gaze cool, measuring. Poe and the man stared at each other for just a moment. Some flicker of recognition stirred inside Katza, but then it was gone. Poe turned back to her, calm now. Desperately, urgently calm. Will you do something else then, he said. Something much smaller that will hurt no one. Yes, if it'll hurt no one. Will you run with me now, back into the forest? And if he starts to speak, will you cover your ears? What an odd request. But she felt that same strange flicker of recognition, and she agreed, without knowing why. Yes. Quickly, Katza. In an instant they turned and ran, and when she heard voices she clapped her hands to her ears. 
but she could still hear words barked here and there, and what she heard confused her. And then Poe's voice, yelling at her to keep running. Yelling at her, she thought vaguely to drown out the other voices. She half heard a muffled clatter of hooves growing behind them. The clatter turned into a thunder, and then she saw the arrows striking the trees around them. The arrows made her angry. We could kill these men, all of them, she thought to Poe. We should fight. But he kept yelling at her to run, and his hand tightened on her shoulder and pushed her forward, and she had that sense again that all was not right, that none of this was normal, and that in this madness she should trust Poe. They raced around trees and clambered up slopes, rushing in whatever direction Poe chose. The arrows dropped off as they moved deeper into the forest, for the woods slowed the horses and confused the men. Still, they kept running. They came to a part of the forest so thickly wooded that the snow had caught in the branches of the trees and never reached the ground. Our footprints, Katza thought. He'd taken us here so they can't trace our footprints. She clung to that thought, because it was the only piece of this senselessness she understood. Finally, Poe pulled her hands from her ears. They ran more until they came to a great, wide tree with brown needles, the ground littered with dead branches that had fallen from its trunk. There's a hollow place up high, Poe said. There's an opening in the trunk. Can you climb it? If I go first, can you follow? Of course, here, she said, making a cup with her hands. He put one foot into her palms and jumped, and she lifted him up as high as he could into the trees. She made handholds and footholds of the rough places in the trunk and hustled up after him. Avoid that branch, he called down to her, and this one. A breeze would knock it down. She used the limbs he used. He climbed and she followed. He disappeared, and a moment later his arms reached out of a great hole above her. He pulled her inside the tree, into the hollowed-out space he'd sensed from the ground. They sat in the dark, breathing heavily, their legs entwined in their tree cave. We'll be safe here for now, Poe said, as long as they don't come after us with dogs. But why were they hiding? Now that they sat still, the strangeness of all that had happened began to pierce Katz's mind like the arrows the horsemen had shot at their backs. Why were they hiding? Why weren't they fighting? Why were they afraid? That woman had been afraid, too. That woman who looked like a Leonid. Ashen. The wife of Lek was a Leonid, and her name was Ashen. And yes, that made sense because that grief-stricken man had called her his wife. That man with the eye patch and the bow in his hands was Lek. But wasn't it Lek's arrow that had struck Ashen? Kaza couldn't quite recall, and when she tried to watch that moment again in her mind, a fog and falling snow blocked her sight. Poe might remember. But Poe had been so strange too, telling her to shoot Lek as he grieved over his wife, and then telling her to cover her ears. Why do that? That thing that she couldn't quite grasp flickered again in her mind. She reached for it, and it disappeared. And then she was angry at her thick-headedness, her stupidity. She couldn't make sense of all this because she was too unintelligent. She looked at Poe, who leaned against the wall of the tree and stared straight ahead at nothing. The sight of him upset her even more, for his face seemed thin, his mouth tight. He was tired, worn out, most likely hungry. He'd said something about dogs, and she knew his eyes well enough to recognize the shadows of worry that sat within them. Poe, please tell me what's wrong. Katza. He sighed her name. He rubbed his forehead and then looked into her face. Do you remember our conversation about King Lek, Katza? What we said about him before we saw him today? She stared at him and remembered they'd said something, but she couldn't remember what it was. About his eyes, Katza. Something he's hiding? He's... 
that came to her suddenly. He's graced. Yes. Do you remember what his grace is? And then it began to trickle back to her, piece by piece, from some part of her mind she hadn't been able to reach before. She saw it again, clearly. Ashen, terrified, fleeing from her husband and his army, Lek shooting Ashen in the back, Lek crying out in pretended grief, his words fogging Katz's mind, transforming the murder her eyes had seen into a tragic accident she couldn't remember. Poe screaming at her to shoot Lek, and she refusing. She couldn't look him in the face, for shame overwhelmed her. It's not your fault, he said. I swore to you I'd do what you said. I swore it, Poe. Kat said no one could have kept that promise. If I had known how powerful Lek was, if I had the slightest idea, I never would have brought you here. You didn't bring me here. We came together. Well, and now we're both in great danger. He stiffened. Wait, he whispered. He seemed to be listening to something, but Katza could hear nothing. They're searching the forest, he said after a minute. That one turned away. I don't think they have dogs. But why are we hiding from them? Katza, what do you mean we're in great danger? Why aren't we fighting these butchers? Why? She dropped her face into her hands. I'm so confused. I'm hopelessly stupid. You're not stupid. It's Lex Grace that takes away your own thought, and it's my grace that sees so much more than a person should. You're confused because Lek confused you deliberately with his words, and because I haven't told you yet what I know. Then tell me. Tell me what you know. Well, Ashen is dead. That I don't have to tell you. She's dead because she tried to escape Lek with Better Blue. Here we see her punishment for protecting her child. She heard this bitterness and remembered that Ashen was not a stranger to him, that he had seen a member of his family murdered today. I believe you were right about Bitter Blue, he said. I'm almost sure from what Ashen wanted as she ran toward me. What did she want? She wanted me to find Bitter Blue and protect her. I don't know what it is Lek wants with her, exactly, but I think Bitter Blue's in the forest, hiding, like us. We have to find her before they do. Yes, but there's more you need to know, Katza. We're in particular danger, you and I. Lek saw us. He recognized us. He saw us. He broke off, but it didn't matter. She understood suddenly what Lek had seen. He'd seen them run away when they shouldn't have had the slightest idea of their danger. He'd seen her put her hands over her ears when they shouldn't have known the power of his words. He doesn't... He doesn't know how much of the truth I know said. But he knows his grace doesn't work on me. I am a threat to him, and he wants me dead, and you he wants alive. Katza's eyes snapped to his face. But they were shooting at us. I heard the command, Katza. Those arrows were meant for me. We should have fought, Katza said. We could have taken those soldiers. We have to find him now and kill him. No, Katza, you know you can't be in his presence. I can cover my ears somehow. You can't block out all sound, and he'll only talk louder. He'll yell, and you'll hear him. Your hearing's too good. And his words are no less dangerous if they're muffled. Even the words of his soldiers are dangerous, Katza. You'll end up confused, and we'll have to run. I won't let him do that to me again, Poe. Katza. There was a tired certainty in his voice, and she didn't want to hear what he was going to say. It only took him a few words, he said. And he had you... A few words erased everything you'd seen. 
He wants you, Katza. He wants your grace. And I can't protect you. She hated the truth of his words, for he was right. Black could do what he wanted with her. He could make a monster of her if that was his wish. Where is he now? I don't know. He's not nearby. But he's probably in the forest looking for us or for Bitterblue. Will it be difficult to avoid him? I don't think so. My grace will tell me if he's near and we can run and hide. A sick feeling stopped her breath. What if he tried to turn her against Poe? She took her dagger from her belt and held it out to him. He looked back at her with quiet eyes, understanding. It won't come to that, he said. Good, she said. Take it anyway. He set his mouth, but didn't argue. He took the dagger and slid it into his own belt. She pulled the knife from her boot and passed it to him. She handed him the bow and helped him fasten the quiver of arrows onto his back. There's not much we can do about my hands and feet, but at least I'm unarmed. You'd stand a chance against me, Poe, if you had a blade in each hand and I had none. It won't come to that. No, it probably wouldn't. But if it did, there was no harm in being prepared. She watched his face, his eyes, which dimly glowed. His tired eyes, his dear eyes. He'd been better able to defend himself if her hands were bound. She wondered, should she bind her hands? And now you've crossed into the realm of absurd, he said. She grinned. We should try it, though, in our fights. A smile twitched in the corner of his mouth. I could agree to that sometime, when all of this is behind us. Now, she said, let's find your cousin. Chapter 24 It was not easy for her to walk helplessly through the forest, Poe deciding where to go and knowing when and where to hide, freezing in his tracks at the sense of things she couldn't see or hear. His grace was invaluable, she knew that, but Katza had never felt so much like a child. She became hopeful when she saw me, Poe said, speaking quickly as they rushed through the trees. Ashen did. At the sight of me, her heart filled with hope for Bitterblue. This hope was what directed their steps now. Ashen had hoped so hard for Poe to find Bitterblue that she'd left him with a sense of a place she believed Bitterblue to be, a particular spot both she and the child knew from the rides they took together. It was south of the mountain pass road, in a hollow with a stream. I know a bit of how it looks, Poe said, but I don't know exactly where, and I don't know if she would have stayed there once she realized the entire army was searching for her. At least we know where to start, Katza said. She can't have gone too far. They raced through the forest. The snow had stopped and water dripped from pine needles and rushed through the streams. They passed patches of mud trampled with the feet of the soldiers who sought them. If she's left great footprints like these, they'll have found her by now, Katza said. Let's hope she inherited some of her father's cunning. More than once, a soldier came uncomfortably near, and Poe altered their path in order to skirt around him. One time, while avoiding one soldier, they nearly ran into another. They scrambled up a tree and Poe readied an arrow, but the fellow never took his eyes from the ground. Princess Bitterblue, the man called. Come now, princess. Your father's very worried for you. The soldier wandered away, but it was a number of minutes before Katza was able to climb down. She'd heard the man's words, even with her hands over her ears. She'd fought against them, but still they'd clouded her mind. She sat in the tree, shuddering while Poe grasped her chin, looked into her eyes, and talked her through her confusion. All right, she said. My mind is clear. They clambered down. 
they moved quickly and left as little trace as possible of their own passage. Near the entrance to the forest, things became tricky. The soldiers were everywhere, gathered in groups, moving in every direction. She and Poe ran for short bursts when Poe decided it was safe, and then hid. Once, Poe grabbed her arm and jerked her backwards and they raced back the way they'd come. They found a great mossy rock and hunched behind it. Poe's hands clapped over her ears, his eyes glowing with a fierce concentration. Wedged between the rock and Poe, his heart beating fast against her body, she knew this time they had hid from more than mere soldiers. They waited, it seemed, interminably. Then Poe took her wrist and motioned for her to follow. They crept away by a different route, one that widened the distance between them and the Muncian king. When they were as close to the entrance to the forest as Poe deemed safe, they turned south, as they hoped Bitterblue had done. When a stream bubbled across their path, Poe stopped. He crouched down and clutched his head. Katza stood beside him and watched and listened, waiting for him to sense something from the forest or from the memory of Ashen's hope. There's nothing, he said finally. I can't tell if this is the right stream. Katza crouched beside him. If the soldiers haven't found her yet, she said, then she left no obvious trace, even in all this snow and mud. She must have had the presence of mind to walk through a stream, Poe. Every stream in this forest flows from mountain to valley. She would have known to go west, away from the valleys. Is there any harm in following this stream west? If we don't stumble upon her, we can continue south and search the next one. This seems a bit hopeless, Poe said. But he stood, turned with her, and followed the water west. When Katza found a tangle of long, dark hair snagged on a branch that snapped against her stomach, she called Poe's name in his mind. She held the tangle of hair up for him to see. She tucked it into her sleeve and enjoyed the slightly more hopeful expression on his face. When the stream curved sharply and entered a little hollow of grasses and ferns, Poe stopped and held up his hand. I recognize this place. This is it. Is she here? He stood for a moment. No, but let's continue up the stream. Quickly, I fear there may be soldiers on our trail. Only minutes later, he turned to her, relief in the lines of his tired face. I feel her now. He stepped out of the stream and Katza followed. He wove his way around the trees until he came to a fallen tree trunk stretched across the forest floor. He measured the trunk with his eyes. He walked to one end, crouched down, and looked inside. Bitter blue, he said into the trunk. I'm your cousin Poe, the son of Roar. We've come to protect you. There was no response. Poe spoke quietly and gently. We're not going to hurt you, cousin. We're here to help you. Are you hungry? We have food. Still, there was no response from the fallen tree. Poe stood and turned to Katza. He spoke in a low voice. She's afraid of me. You have to try. Katza snorted. You think she'll be less afraid of me? She's afraid of me because I'm a man. Take care. She has a knife, and she's willing to use it. Good for her. Katza knelt before the hollow end of the trunk and looked inside. She could just make out the girl, huddled tight, her breath short, panicked, her hands clutching a knife. Princess Bitterblue, she said. I am the Lady Katza from the Midlands. I have come with Poe to help you. You must trust us, Bitterblue. We're both graced fighters. We can keep you safe. Tell her we know about Lex Grace, Poe whispered. We know your father's after you, Katza said into the darkness. We know he's Grace, too. We can keep you safe, Bitterblue. 
Katza waited for some sign from the girl, but there was nothing. She looked up at Poe and shrugged her shoulders. Do you think we could break the tree apart? she asked. But then, from inside the trunk, came a small, shaky voice. Where is my mother? Katza's eyes snapped up to Poe's. They searched each other's faces, uncertain. And then Poe sighed and nodded. Katza turned back to the trunk. Your mother is dead, Bitterblue. She waited for sobbing, screams, but instead there was a pause and then the voice came again, even smaller now. The king killed her. Yes, Katza said. There was another silence inside the tree. Katza waited. Soldiers are coming, Poe muttered above her. They're minutes away. She didn't want to fight these soldiers who carried Lex poison in their mouths, and they might not have to if they could only get this child to come out. I can see that knife, Princess Bitterblue, she said. Do you know how to use it? Even a small girl can do a lot of damage with a knife. I could teach you. Poe crouched down and touched her shoulder. Thank you, Katza. He breathed and then he was up again, stalking a few paces into the trees, looking around and listening for anything his grace could tell him. And she understood why he thanked her, for the child was crawling her way out of the trunk. Her face appeared from the dimness, then her hands and shoulders, her eyes gray and her hair dark like her mother's, her eyes big, her face wet with tears and her teeth chattering, her fingers gripped tightly around a knife that was longer than her forearm. She spilled out of the tree trunk and Katza caught her and felt her cheeks and forehead. The child was shaking with cold. Her skirts were wet and clung to her legs, her boots were soaked through. She wore no coat or muffler, no gloves. Great hills, you're frozen stiff, Katza said. She yanked off her own coat and pulled it down over the child's head. She tried to pull Better Blue's arms through the sleeves, but the girl wouldn't loosen her grip on the knife. Let it go for a minute, child. Just a second. Hurry, there are soldiers coming. She pried the knife from the girl's fingers and fastened the coat into place. She handed the knife back. Can you walk, Better Blue? The girl didn't answer, but swayed, her eyes unfocused. We can carry her, Poe said, suddenly at Katza's side. We have to go. Wait, Katza said. She's too cold. Now. This instant, Katza. Give me your coat. Poe tore off his bags, his quiver and bow. He tore off his coat and threw it to her. She tugged the coat over Bitterblue's head, wrestled with the fingers around the knife again. She pulled the hood over the girl's ears and fastened it tight. Bitterblue looked like a potato sack, a small, shivering potato sack with empty eyes and a knife. Poe tipped the girl over his shoulder and they gathered their things. All right, Katza said. Let's go. They ran south, stepping on pine needles and rock whenever they could, leaving as little sign of their passage as possible. But the ground was too wet, and the soldiers were quick on their mounts. Their trail was too easy to follow, and before long, Katza heard branches breaking in the thud of horses' hooves. Poe, how many of them? Fifteen, he said, at least. She breathed through her panic. What if their words confuse me? His voice was low. I wish we could fight them alone, Katza, and out of your hearing. But it would mean us separating, and right now there are soldiers on every side of us. I won't risk your being found when I'm not there. Katza snorted. Nor will I allow you to fight fifteen men alone. We must kill as many of them as possible, Poe said, before they're close enough for conversation, and hope that once they're under attack, they're not very talkative. Let's find a place to hide the girl. If they don't see her, they're less likely to speak of her. They tucked the child behind rocks and weeds inside a niche at the end of a tree. Don't make a sound, princess, Katza said, and lend me your knife. 
I'll kill one of your father's men with it. She took the knife from the girl's uncomprehending fingers. Poe, Katza thought, her mind racing. Give me the knives and the daggers. I'll kill on first sight. Poe pulled two daggers from his belt and a knife from each boot and tossed them to her, one by one. She collected the blades together. He readied the bow and cocked an arrow. They crouched behind a rock and waited, but there wasn't long to wait. The men came through the trees, moving quickly on their horses, their eyes skimming the ground for tracks. Katza counted seventeen men. I'll go right, she thought grimly to Poe. You go left. And with that, she stood and hurled a knife and another and another. Poe's arrow flew when he reached for another. Katza's knives and daggers were embedded in the chests of five men, and Poe had killed two before the soldiers even comprehended the ambush. The bodies of the dead slumped from their horses to the ground, and the bodies of the living jumped after them, pulling swords from sheaths, yelling, screaming unintelligibly, a mindful one or two drawing arrows. Katza ran toward the men. Poe continued shooting. The first came at her with wild eyes and a screeching mouth, swinging his sword so erratically that it was no trouble for her to dodge the blade, kick another rushing man in the head, pull the first man's dagger from his belt, and stab them both in the neck. She kept the dagger, grabbed a sword, and came out swinging. She knocked another man's sword from his hands and ran hers through his stomach. She whirled on two men who came from behind and killed them both with her dagger while she fought off a third with her sword. She hurled the dagger into the chest of a soldier on a horse who aimed an arrow at Poe, and suddenly only one man was left, his breath ragged and his eyes wide with fear. That man backed away and began to run. In a flash, Katza pulled a knight from another man's chest and ran after him, but then she heard the smooth release of an arrow and the man cried out and fell and lay still. Katza looked down at her bloodstained tunic and trousers. She wiped her face and blood came off onto her sleeve. All around her lay murdered men, men who hadn't known any better, whose minds were no weaker than her own. Katza was sick and discouraged and furious with the king who'd made this bloodbath necessary. Let's make sure they're dead, she said, and get them on the horses. We must send them back to put Lek off our trail. They were dead, every one of them. Katza pulled arrows and blades from chests and backs and tried not to look at their faces. She cleaned the knives and daggers and handed them back to Poe. She carried Bitter Blue's knife back to her and found the girl standing, arms crossed against the cold, eyes alert now, lucid. Katza glanced down at her bloody clothing. She found herself hoping that child hadn't witnessed the massacre of men. I feel warmer, Bitter Blue said. Good. How much of that fight did you see? They didn't have much of a chance, did they? It was her only answer. Where are we going now? I'm not sure. We need to find a safe place to hide where we can eat and sleep. We need to talk about what happens next. You'll have to kill the king, she said, if you ever want him to stop chasing us. Katza looked at this child, who barely came up to her chest, Poe's sleeves hanging almost to the girl's knees, her eyes and her nose big under her hood, too big for her little face, her voice a squeak. But a calmness in her manner of speaking, a certainty as she recommended her father's murder. Chapter 25 They kept two horses for themselves. Bitter Blue rode with Katza. They wound their way back to the streams to clean themselves of the blood of the soldiers. Then they turned west. They walked the horses through the stream, moving toward the mountains until the land around them grew rocky enough to hide hoofprints. There they struck out south along the base of the mountains and began their search for a suitable place to hide for the night. A place they could defend. A place far enough from Lek for safety, but not so far that they couldn't reach Lek to kill him. For of course, Better Blue was right. Lek had to die. 
Katza knew it, but she didn't like to think of it, for she was a killer, and the murder should be hers, but it was plain that Poe would have to be the one to do it. Poe kill a king guarded by an army of soldiers, by himself and without her help. You mustn't go near his castle, she thought to Poe as they rode. You'd never be able to get close enough to him. You're far too conspicuous. They would ambush you. The horses picked their way through the rocks. Poe didn't acknowledge her thoughts, didn't even look at her, but she knew he'd heard. You'd do best to sneak up on him in the forest while he's searching for the child and shoot him, from as far away as possible. Poe rode before them, his back straight, his arms steady despite his tiredness and the cold and his lack of a coat. And then run away as fast as you can. He slowed then and came beside them. He looked into her face and something strong in his silver and gold eyes comforted and reassured her. Poe was neither weak nor defenseless. He had his grace and his strength. He reached for her hand. When she gave it to him, he kissed it. He rode ahead and they continued on. Betterblow sat quietly before her. She had stiffened when Poe came near. But if she thought their silent exchange odd, she said nothing. They came to a place where the land dropped away to the left and formed a deep gully with a lake that shone far below them. To the right, the path rose to a cliff that overhung the lake. If we cross over to the far side of that cliff and hide there, Katza said, anyone coming after us will either have to cross the cliff as we did or climb up from the gully. They'll be easily seen. I had the same thought, Poe said. Let's see what's there. And so they climbed. The cliff path sloped rather unnervingly toward the drop, but it was a wide path and the horses clung to its top edge. Pebbles slid from under their hooves and rolled down the slope, clattering over the edge and plummeting down into the lake, but the travelers were safe. On the far side, they found little more than rock and scrub and a few scraggly trees growing from crevices. A shallow, hard cave with its back to the gully and the cliff path seemed the best choice for their camp. It won't make for a soft bed, Poe said, but it'll hide our fire. Are you hungry, cousin? The girl sat on a rock, quietly, her hands gripping her knife. She hadn't complained of hunger, or of anything else, for that matter. But now she watched with big eyes as Poe unwrapped what little food they had, some meat from the night before, and one small apple carried all the way from the inn at the sundering foot of the mountains. Better Blue's eyes watched the food, and she barely seemed to be breathing. She was ravenous, anyone could see that. "'When did you last eat?' Poe asked as he set the food before her. "'Some berries this morning. And before that?' Yesterday. Yesterday morning. Slowly, Poe said, as Bitterblue took the meat in her hands and tore a great piece off with her teeth. Slowly or you'll be sick. I'll climb down to the gully and find us some meat, Katza said. The sun will set soon. I'll take a knife, Poe, if you'll keep a lookout for me. Poe slid a knife from his boot and tossed it to her. If you hear the sound of an owl hooting, run. Two hoots, run south. Three hoots, run right back up here to the camp. She nodded. Agreed. Try the rushes to the south of the lake, he said, and pick up a few pebbles on your way down. I think I may have seen some quail. Katza snorted but said nothing. She glanced at the girl, who saw only the food in her hands. Then she turned, worked her way around boulders, and began to forge a path down into the gully. When Katza returned to camp with a string full of quail, plucked and gutted, the sun was sinking behind the mountains. Poe was piling branches near the back of the cave. Bitterblue lay nearby, wrapped in a blanket. I gather she hadn't slept much in the last few days, Poe said. She'll be all right now that her clothes are dry. We'll keep her warm and fed. She's a calm little thing, isn't she? Small for ten years old. 
She helped me gather wood until she was practically collapsing from exhaustion. I told her to sleep until we had more food. She's got her fingers wrapped around that knife, and she's still scared of me. I get the feeling she's not used to men showing her kindness. Poe, I'm beginning to think I don't want to know what this is all about. I can make no sense of it. I can't factor your grandfather into it at all. Poe shook his head and looked at the girl who was huddled on the ground in her blankets and coats. I'm not sure how much of any of this has to do with sanity or sense, but we'll keep her safe and we'll kill Lek, and eventually we'll learn whatever truth there is to know of it. She'll make for an awfully young queen. I've thought of that too, but there's no helping it. They sat quietly and waited for the darkness that would mask the smoke of their fire. Poe pulled another shirt over the one he already wore. She watched his face, his familiar features, his eyes, which caught the pink light of the day's end. She bit her lip against her worry, for she knew it would not be helpful to him. How will you do it? she asked. As you said, most likely. We'll talk about it when Bitter Blue wakes. I expect she'll be able to help. Help to plot the murder of her father. Yeah, she probably would help if she could. For such was the madness that rose the air of this kingdom as they sat in their rocky camp at the edge of the Monsian Mountains. The light of the fire or its crackle or the smell of the meat sizzling above it woke Bitter Blue. She came to sit with them by the flames, her blanket around her shoulders and her knife in hand. I'll teach you how to use that knife, Katza told her, when you're feeling better. How to defend yourself, how to maim a man. We could use Poe as a model. The child's eyes flicked to Katza shyly, and then she looked into her lap. Wonderful, Poe said. It's quite boring, really, the way you beat me to death with your hands and feet, Katza. It'll be refreshing to have you coming at me with a knife. Bitterblue glanced at Katza again. Are you the better fighter? Yes, Katza said. Far better, Poe said. There's no comparison. But Poe has other advantages, Katza said. He's stronger. He sees better in the dark. But in a fight, Poe said. Always bet on the lady, Bitterblue. Even in the dark. They sat quietly, waiting for the quail to roast. Bitterblue shivered and pulled her blanket more tightly around her shoulders. I would like to have a grace, she said, that allowed me to protect myself. Katza held her breath and forced herself to wait patiently and not ask questions. After a moment, Bitterblue said, The king wants me. What for? Katza asked, because she couldn't prevent herself. Bitterblue didn't answer this. She bent her chin to her chest and brought her arms in close to her sides, making herself very small. He has a grace, she said. My mother told me so. She told me he can manipulate people's minds with his words so that they believe whatever he says. Even if they hear it from someone else's mouth. Even if it's a rumor he started that spread far beyond him. His power weakens as it spreads, but it doesn't disappear. She stared unhappily at the knife in her hands. She told me he's the wrong kind of man to have been born with a grace like this. He makes toys of small and weak people. He likes to cause pain. Poe dropped his hand to Katz's thigh, which was the only thing that kept her from shooting to her feet with rage. My mother has suspected all of this, Bitterblue continued, from time to time, ever since she first knew him. But he's always been able to confuse her into forgetting about it. Until a few months back, when he began to take a particular interest in me. She stopped speaking and took a few small breaths. Her eyes settled on Katz's, flickering with something uncomfortable. I can't say what he wants from me, exactly. He's always been fond of the company of girls. 
and he has some strange habits my mother and I came to understand. He cuts animals with knives. He tortures them and keeps them alive for a long time, then he kills them. She cleared her throat. I don't think it's only animals he does this to. Kindness to children and helpless creatures, Katza thought, fighting back tears of fury. Her whole life, she'd believed Lex's reputation was one for good. Did he convince his victims, too, that he was doing them a kindness, even while he cut them with knives? He told my mother he wanted to start spending time with me alone, Bitter Blue said. He said it was time he got to know his daughter better. He was so angry when she refused. He hit her. He tried to use his grace on me. Tried to get me to go to his cages with him, but whenever I saw the bruises on my mother's face, I remembered the truth. It cleared my mind, just barely. Enough that I knew to refuse. Then Poe had been right. The deaths at Lex's court began to make even more sense to Katza. Lex probably arranged for many people to die. People whose use had become more trouble than it was worth because he'd hurt them so grievously that they'd begun to comprehend the truth. So then he kidnapped Grandfather, Bitter Blue said, because he knew there was no one my mother loved more. He told my mother he was going to torture Grandfather unless she agreed to hand me over. He told her he was hoping to bring him to Monsi and kill him in our sight. We hoped it was all just his usual lies, but then we got letters from Leonid and knew Grandfather was really missing. Grandfather was neither tortured nor killed, Poe said. He's safe now. He could have just taken me, Bitter Blue said, her voice breaking with sudden shrillness. He has an entire army that would never defy him. But he didn't. He has this... sick patience. It didn't interest him to force us. He wanted to hear us say yes. Because it was more satisfying to him that way, Katza thought. My mother barricaded us inside our rooms, Bitter Blue said. The king ignored us for a while. He had food and drink brought to us and water and fresh linen, but he would talk to us through the door sometimes. He would try to persuade my mother to send me out. He would confuse me sometimes. Sometimes he would confuse her. He would come up with the most convincing reasons why I should come out, and we had to keep reminding ourselves of the truth. It was very frightening. A tear ran down her face now, and she kept talking quickly as if she could no longer contain her story. He began to send animals into us, mice all cut up, dogs and cats still alive, crying and bleeding. It was horrible. And then one day, the girl who brought our food had cuts on her face, three lines on each cheek bleeding freely, and other injuries too that we couldn't see. She wasn't walking well. When we asked her what happened, she said she couldn't remember. She was a girl my age. She stopped for a moment, choked with tears. She wiped her face on her shoulder. That's when my mother decided we had to go. We tied sheets and blankets together and dropped out through the windows. I thought I wouldn't be able to do it for fear. But my mother talked me through it all the way down. My mother killed the guard with a knife. We ran for the mountains. We hoped the king would assume we'd taken the port road to the sea, but on the second morning we saw them coming after us across the fields. My mother twisted her ankle in some foxhole. She couldn't run. She sent me ahead to hide in the forest. The girl breathed furiously, wiped her face again, and clenched her hands into fists. Through some massive force of will, she stopped the fall of her tears. She grasped the knife that lay in her lap and spoke bitterly. If I were trained in archery, or if I could use a knife, 
Perhaps I could have killed my father when this whole thing started. By some accounts, it's too late, Poe said. But I'll kill him tomorrow before he does anything more. Better Blue's eyes darted to his. Why you? Why not her if she's the better fighter? Lex Grace doesn't work on me, Poe said. It works on her. This we learned today when we met him in the fields. I have to be the one to kill him, for he can't manipulate me or confuse me as he can Katza. He offered Bitter Blue one of the quail, skewered on a stick. She took it and watched him closely. It's true that his grace lost some of its power over me, she said, when he hurt my mother. And it lost some of its power over my mother when he threatened me. But why does it not work on you? I can't say, Poe said. He's hurt a lot of people. There may be many for whom his grace is weak, but none likely to admit it for fear of vengeance. Bitter Blue narrowed her eyes. How did he hurt you? He kidnapped my grandfather, Poe said. He murdered my aunt before my eyes. He threatened my cousin. Better Blue seemed satisfied by this, or at least she turned to her food and ate ravenously for a number of minutes. She glanced at him occasionally, at his hands as he tended the fire. My mother wore a lot of rings like you, she said. You look like my mother, excepting your eyes, and you sound like her when you talk. She took a deep breath and stared at the food in her hands. He'll be camping in the forest tomorrow, and he'll be looking for me again. I don't know how you'll find him. We found you, Poe said, didn't we? Her eyes flashed up into his and then back to her food. He'll have his personal guard with him. They're all graced. I'll tell you what you'll be facing. It was a simple enough plan. Poe had set out early before first light with food, a horse, the bow, the quiver, one dagger, and two knives. He would work his way back into the forest and hide his horse. He would find the king, however long that took. He would come no closer to the king than the distance of the flight of an arrow. He would aim, and he would fire. He would ensure that the king was dead, and then he would run as fast as he could back to his horse and to the camp. A simple plan, and Katza grew more and more uneasy as they talked it through, for both she and Poe knew that it would never play out so simply. The king had an inner guard, made up of five great sword fighters. These men were little threat to Poe. They always stood beside the king, and Poe expected never to step within their range. It was the king's outer guard that Poe must be prepared to encounter. These were ten men who would be positioned in a broad circle around Lek, some distance from him and from each other, but surrounding the king as he moved through the forest. They were all graced, some fighters, a couple crack shots with a bow, one graced with speed on foot, one enormously strong, one who climbed trees and jumped from branch to branch like a squirrel, one with extraordinarily great sight and hearing. You will know that one by his red beard, Bitter Blue said, but if you're close enough to see him then he's most certainly spotted you already. Once you're spotted they'll raise the alarm. Poe, Katza said, let me come with you as far as the outer circle. There are too many of them and you might need help. No, Poe said, I would only fight them and then leave. No, Katza. You'll never- Katza. His voice was sharp. She crossed her arms and glared into the fire. She took a breath and swallowed hard. Fine, she said. Go to sleep now, Poe, and I'll keep watch. Poe nodded. Wake me in a few hours and I'll take over. No, she said. You need your sleep if you're to do this thing. I'll keep watch tonight. I'm not tired, Poe, she said as he started to protest. You know I'm not. Let me do this. And so Poe dropped off to sleep, huddled in a blanket beside Bitterblue. Katza sat in the dark and went over the plan in her mind.
If Poe didn't return to their camp above the gully by sunset, then Katza and Bitterblue must flee without him. For if he didn't return, it might mean the king was not dead. If the king was not dead, then nothing would protect Bitterblue from him except distance. Leave Poe behind in this forest of soldiers. It was unimaginable to Katza, and as she sat on a rock in the cold and the dark, she wouldn't let herself think it. She watched for the slightest movement, listened for the smallest sound, and refused to think about all that could happen tomorrow in the forest.